0: our hearts and minds. Lord, then by that spirit, you have joined our hearts and minds with yours and with each other. We thank you for this family that sits within this room. But we ask that tonight your word come alive. Lord, that your word come forth out of these two men that brings resurrection power inside of our souls, that directs our steps and our strength and how we're to carry out the very things that incline our heart and warn our souls. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for yes. this family. Yes. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. 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 Well, who's ready to get in the word in this yeah. house? Yeah. Saints, we've been watching the gospel advance, advance in our homes, advance in our workplaces, advance in our body and in other bodies in the one association. Amen. The kingdom of God is prospering in this house. Listen, tonight's going to be a blast. We're going to have fun together in the second chapter of our part two in Chronicles. I want to remind you that we're speaking about a singular book, singular book that is carried on between a generation. Saints, this is the hope that we're all aiming for, that we might accomplish God's plan through the generations and it be one story. Listen, our title this evening is Send Me a Man. Somebody say, Send Me a Man. Send Send Me a Man. man. We're watching you single ladies. God is going to send you a man. But that's not the only kind of man we're calling for this evening. Last week we covered chapter 1, Start Well and Finish Better. We saw Solomon's throne and reign established and the first recorded time that God appeared to him, not just his father. Anyone still asking the Lord to purify your desires this week? We still are too. We're asking God to make us like him and have a pure devotion. Now I'll tell you, when you genuinely ask the Lord to do that, he's faithful to bring it about. And he often does it by refining your life. Listen, tonight we're going to look and see how David's son builds upon the throne that was given to him. Are you excited to get into it? Yeah. Yeah.
2: So last week we learned how much can be packed into 17 verses. Tonight also is 17 verses. It's going to be really good and we have some neat things for you. If we can get Justice Lintonius Maximus, the faithful reader of the scroll, to read our chapter for us and we will, we will begin.
3: Solomon gave orders to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal palace for himself. He conscripted... It conscripted 70,000 men as carriers and 80,000 as stone cutters in the hills and 36,000, 3600 as foremen over them. Solomon sent this message to King Hiram, to Haram, King of Tyre. Send me cedar logs, as you did for my father David when you sent him cedar to build a palace to live in. Now I am about to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God and to dedicate it to him and for burning fragrant for him for setting out the consecrated bread regularly and for making burnt offerings every morning and evening and on the sabbath and new moon and at the appointed feast of the lord our god this is a lasting ordinance of israel the temple i am going to build will be great because our god is greater than all of the gods but who is able to build a temple for him since the heavens even the highest heavens cannot contain him who then am i to build a temple for him, except as a place to burn sacrifices before him. Send me, therefore, a man, skilled to work in gold, silver, bronze, and iron, and purple, crimson, and blue yarn, and experienced in the art of engraving, to work in Judah and Jerusalem with my skilled craftsmen, whom my father David provided. Send me also cedar, pine, olive logs from Lebanon, for I know that your men are skilled in cutting timber there. My men will work with yours to provide me with plenty of lumber, because the temple I I build must be large and magnificent. I will give you your servants the woodmen to cut the timber. Twenty thousand cords of ground wheat, twenty thousand cords of barley, twenty thousand baths of wine, and twenty thousand baths of oil. Hiram, king of Tyre, replied by letter to Solomon, because the Lord loves his. He has made you their king. And here added, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who made heaven and earth. He has given King David a wise son, endowed with intelligence and discernment, who will build a temple for the Lord and a palace for himself. I am sending you Baram Abi, a man of great skill, whose mother was from Dan, and whose father was from Tyre. He is trained to work in gold and silver and bronze, iron and stone, and wood with, with purple and blue crimson yarn, and fine linen. He is experienced in all kinds of engraving, and can execute any design given to him. He will work with your craftsmen, and with those of my Lord, David, your father. I let my Lord send his servants with wheat, barley, and olive oil, and wine he has promised. And we will cut all the loaves from Lebanon that you need, and will float them by wraps, by sea, down to God. You can then take them up to Jerusalem. Solomon took a census of all the aliens who were in Israel after the census his father David had taken. They were found to be one hundred and fifty-three six hundred thousand. He assigned seventy thousand of them to be carriers and eight thousand to be stone carriers in the hills with thirty-six hundred foremen over them to keep the people working. Amen. Amen. Amen.
2: So tonight is going to be kind of like a circular message. We're going to start somewhere, and we're going to end right back where we started. We have been building on themes in our past uh, teachings about being able, capable, very capable. We've been refining on what God requires for us to be skilled. We've been learning about what kind of desires we have tonight. And you're going to see how this progresses through this chapter. Amen? Amen. Amen. Linton, if you would, pick up in verse 1.
3: Solomon gave
2: All right. So, pause right there. What is the temple for? Very good, students. You read it right off of the page. If I had asked you that before you read the first verse, what would you have said? Worship. Any others? Sacrifices. A dwelling place. A dwelling place for the presence of God. It says right here. That the temple was to be built for the name of the Lord. It is not to house God or his presence. Now think about that. This dwelling place says over and over in Deuteronomy. That God would choose a place for his name to dwell. This temple is for God's name to be there. It is a place where God's name was centered around. God cannot be manifested in his fullest form. Wrap your mind around that. How many scriptures do you know of that you can't see God, you can't fathom his thoughts, his ways are higher than your ways, his thoughts are higher than your thoughts? Has anybody ever tried to really just grasp everything about God all at once? Wrap your mind around eternity and see how many loops you get yourself into. God cannot be manifested in his fullest form, but he has always chosen focal points to be representations of his name His character, his attributes, and his body of work. What we're going to see tonight is that the temple is a very special place. It's a focal point for his name. This also reminds us of things like the tabernacle was a focal point for his name, Israel was a focal point for his name, the temple, etc., etc. This is going to be a major theme in this chapter, and as we go, you will see in depth that God intends for there to be focal points and Carriers of his name. Say that. Carriers, carriers of his name. Linton, if you would pick up in verse 2, and we're going to continue.
3: He conscripted 70,000 men as carriers.
2: Hey, hey oh. how many?
3: 70,000. Hey, oh. Okay, just check it. Interesting. And 80,000 as stone curtains in the hills, mm. and 3,600 as orbit over them.
1: Saints, so listen, Solomon conscripted a total of 153,600 men. Man. That's a big workforce. Yeah. I don't care what company you work for. That's a big <laughs> workforce. Yeah. Listen, we had 70,000 that specifically operated as carriers. You guys remember, we covered this back in First Chronicles, where we had 70,000 that died in a plague, yeah. Yeah. and then there were others that were conscripted that joined, that helped replace what had been cut off. Of all the men that Solomon conscripted, though, we want to focus in on something tonight that is a little bit different. It had 3,600 men who were formant. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're running some, like, rough math in your head, that's, that's kind of, uh, that's, that's quite the proportions. Yes, it is. 3,600 men to 153,600. Yeah. That's something about 2% of the men were yeah. Now, Listen. If you've ever been on a job site, there's a certain kind of structure and hierarchy that is required. (laughs) Typically, the foreman isn't your best friend. He's there for a reason. 2% of them were chosen to be foremans or leaders among them. Man, that's quite an important role to fill. If we only have 2% that are slots, we really need these guys to be good at their job, don't we? Well, it must have been difficult to be responsible for so many men while working on this particular project, the temple of the living God. We need to understand why they needed these men. They're here for a reason. They were set apart. They were chosen.
2: we going to hand out just a few scriptures, and then Justin will pick up with them. All right, who wants to read? read Let's get Paul Rosalis, 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. And uh, where's Rick. Let's get Rick Lawhon to read Proverbs 25, verse 28. And let's get Elder Charlie to read Jeremiah 51, verse 12. (laughs) 1 Peter 5,
0: 8 through 11. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Looking for someone to devour.
2: All right, pause right there. You are to be self-controlled and alert.
0: Amen.
2: There is an enemy prowling around trying to devour you. He's looking for breaches in our defenses. He's looking to stop the work. He's looking to stop the building project. Anybody ever, ever managed construction? Anybody ever managed anything? You can walk through your job site, walk through the workplace, and see that the enemy has been there before you, and he stopped the people from working. Wow. <laughs> the devil loves to, to roam around and look for areas that he can get people to stop the work project. He looks to stop the work through things like distractions. He will put little distractions there in front of workers, employees, so that they stop working and they're not productive. He likes to use things like offenses to get the workers to stop working. You know, like, man, I just can't work with that guy. You know, he thinks he knows everything. I just can't work with him. That is a tactic of the devil to try to get the work to stop. He also uses lack of unity in teams. Nobody's experienced that, have they? It's hard to get some work done when your team is lacking in unity. He also uses things like lack of shalom in the family. It's hard for a family to work on Nehemiah's wall if they're fighting in between each other. They're supposed to be holding a sword and a shovel or a trowel in the other hand. It's kind of hard to stand there and work whenever they're using their swords against each other. <laughs> what about misplaced trust in the process? You know, I don't know what that foreman thinks. If I was him, I would do it differently. You know, if I get to look at the blueprints, I might make some different calls in this game. Yeah. Yeah. You think that that's just a stray thought, but the devil uses those things to stop the project. He'll also use our sympathies against us. You know, I don't know why the boss fired that guy. You know, he was pretty good. I don't agree with that. I think I'm going to have to stand up and say something. Look, sympathies can get you into a lot of trouble. If your sympathies are for things that the boss doesn't show sympathy towards, you might have to align yourself with the person that provides you with your paycheck. I've seen that happen a lot on job sites. He'll also use laziness. Nothing worse than a lazy worker. But the devil loves to sew those things. You know, hey, you need a day off. Or hey, you know, you could probably show up and work a couple hours and the boss won't notice and you'll get a couple free hours. That doesn't work in God's building project. He also loves to use misapplication of tools. You know, I've seen from time to time. A guy tell me that he can't find the skill soul that we bought him. And then sure enough, he goes out and uses it for his own side projects. Yeah, that doesn't just apply to the job site. The devil loves to try to get you to use the tools that God intended to use you to use for the kingdom for your own building projects. Mm-hmm. That will impede the work. Just oh. yes, we had over 150,000
1: workers. And <laughs> Solomon, I mean Jesus, felt the need to appoint foremen over them because they needed something to help keep them on track with where God has called them to be working. You know, when I look at these, I think about the ways in which the God has set foreman's and fathers over us in our life to keep us on track. It's almost like there's a devil prowling around our defenses, looking to see if he can find a way to slip in like distractions might be the enemy at work inside of your home and inside of your own children's lives. Or perhaps like the pastors were addressing earlier, you are the distraction and are choosing to be the tool of the enemy during the service. How about we recognize these schemes so that we might begin to build to the coming verses? Man, when we talk about sympathies, man, there's quite a song that I really don't recommend. It's called Symphony symphony for the Devil. Sympathy for the Devil. And we sing about these kind of things like, uh, you know, this is just some kind of quaint song, or this was fun, or now that we're church people, we're like, oh, no, 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 children, turn off your ears. You would never listen to that. And yet the areas that the devil gets a hold of you with smoke and drags you off to kill you are areas that you have sympathies that God did not ordain in this room, that are based upon culture, that are based upon interactions, based upon your feeling of bond. And it's intended to drag you from the work that God called you to. But praise God, he gave you foreman's, man. He gave you 3,600 of them. Man, misapplication of tools was my favorite that Justin shared. Oh, Pastor Matt taught me this great revelation. I have this conviction about how I'm going to run marriage, how I'm going to raise my children. Hey, Jack, you have a question? This is what you need to do now. And a misapplication of tools, when you heard somebody else say it or saw someone else use it, and you have no idea what you're talking about while you do it, it harms lives. We need to actually become intimately familiar yeah. with the devil's traps. We're being given tools that are made to work for their intended purpose. But you got to know the context and have the pastor's perspective to use them rightly. Yeah, that's true. Tonight, we're going to recognize the enemy schemes. Who's got verse 9?
0: Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are
2: undergoing the same kind of suffering. Look, you can pause right there. Look, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Hey, we've all grown up not liking a boss or foreman from time to time, haven't we? That's true. Yes. But we must realize that they're there for a reason. They assist us. Say that with me. They assist us in resisting the things that impede our building. Come on. And help us to stand firm in the project. Sometimes that assistance seems like a kick in the pants. But it's worth it because it helps us to keep building. Read Verse 10.
0: After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore
1: you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast? Oh, come on, man. As we are wrestling through these things and we are learning to recognize the schemes of the enemy, can anybody in the room say they sting a little bit when you see their effect? Yeah. 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 I find them a little painful, and I've been in seeing them since I was these guys' ages. It causes you to depend upon the standard, to depend upon the strength, that is found in Christ. It causes you to search your own heart and find the areas that you've been liable to the enemy. And you learn to turn it on him. You're not getting another one. You're not getting one here. You're not getting it here. I am not giving you another liability. Yeah. The work must continue. This project is for the Lord Almighty, and I'm not giving up. Yeah. You begin to love the foreman that taught you how to work hard, how to do your job right, who you once hated. When you see the effects of those that do not heed the warning. Tonight we want you to recognize where the lion is prowling in your life. And have a strong citadel. Have your defenses raised. And more than that, carry on the work and succeed in God's plan. Who has Proverbs 25?
2: Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Man, self-control or diligence. Like a city whose walls are broken down. Look, without foremen in our lives, that's what we become. People who are lacking self-control, lacking diligence. Ask me how I know that. If, we were to, if Judah and I were to allow, and Gabe, were to allow our workers just to do whatever they wanted to, show up to the job site, and just do it however they wanted, whenever they wanted, nothing would get done. They'd be men without self-control. Men don't have the propensity to necessarily have the self-control to do what they need to do without oversight. That's why there's foremen in our lives. Yeah. We need them to look after us because while the cat is away, the mouse play. It's not going to be us tonight. <laughs> we self-control. Amen. And you know what? It's not going to be us, and it's not going to be our families either. Say that. It's not going to be my family. <laughs> we all need foremen in our lives. But what we're trying to get to you tonight Is that we must be those foremen to our families and our brothers or they become targets for the enemy. We're realizing what's happening in this church and we are saying that it's tonight it's time to tighten up the ship. Tonight it's time to be foremen in our homes. It's time to watch after our flocks because what happens if we don't do that the enemy starts to snatch them away while you're not looking. The enemy starts to distract them, get them offended, get them to sympathize with things they're not supposed to sympathize with, and then they become snatched, and that impedes the workflow. Who's got Jeremiah 51 verse 12? Before you read it, listen,
1: we've got Orthodox stuff to handle before we start the service. We were a little mixed up as we're starting. I want your hearts tonight. Do you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to teach you some information that you forget about in three months. I want you to be with me. Can we pray a simple little prayer together? Yes. In your seats, raise your hands. Mighty King, Lord, you have placed us on a great work. Lord, we ask that now, in light of the threats, in light of the difficulties, in light of the distractions, in light of everything else, now, Lord, that you would strengthen our hands. Who has Jeremiah 51?
4: Jeremiah 51, 12. Lift up reinforce the guard, the station of the watchman, prepare an ambush. The Lord
1: will carry out his purpose, his decree against the people of Babylon. Come on, LCM. The Lord has already announced his victory, announced it, announced it. He is going to march on Babylon, the city of wickedness. It is coming and it is coming in this house. His plan will succeed. But now is our time to strengthen our guard. Strengthen your guard in your household. Strengthen your guard with your children. Strengthen the watchmen that we might see the schemes of the enemy and head it off. We are not on the defensive. We are on the offensive. We are going to see his plans succeed, his kingdom be built. But I assure you, our enemy is not happy about it. But our God is able to fill us with power when we are aware. No matter how spiritually strong we are, when our heads are in the sand, we get duped. I don't want to get duped anymore. Uh Tonight, we're going to carry out his purpose. If we are faithful to guard, to watch, to carefully monitor our own condition and the condition of our flock, we will see the kingdom of God advance. You guys ready to get into it? Yes. Pick up, Linton.
3: Solomon sent this message to Haram, king of Tyre. Send me cedar logs, as you did for my father David, when you sent him cedar to build a palace to live in. Now, I am about to build a temple for the Lord, for the name of the Lord, my God and dedicated to Him for burning fragrant incense before Him, mm. for setting out the consecrated bread regularly, Come on. and for making burnt offerings every morning and evening, yeah. on the Sabbaths and new moons, and at the appointed feast of the Lord our God. Yeah. This is a lasting ordinance. Yeah.
1: Man, it's a lasting ordinance for Israel. Amen. Man, I love the Word of God. There's so many things that we could just read over so simply. But what I hear when I think about biblical imagery, I hear that there are Ordinances that are supposed to be carried out. That God had appointed Sabbaths. There were times for reviewing your mezuzah statement. For remembering why God brought you to this land and what job you have. That there are new moon feasts. There are times when we see that God's plan is still unfolding. That there is hope. That there is something rising. That his calendar is still moving and we get to be a part of it. Tonight I want to revive ourselves with incense. Prayer that is... Pure offerings before the living God, bread that comes from his actual word, not an Instagram post, bread that is life giving, the kind that sustains the weary when you are worn out and don't have anything in your flesh. But that kind of heavenly bread appears off the page, man, it'll change your life. It'll renew your spirits. It will strengthen you for the work. We have feast and burnt offerings that are times that we celebrate God's goodness. We celebrate how amazing he is. We glorify our Heavenly Father. Solomon is recognizing things that God had already apportioned for his people, and he's reminding them of it, and he's speaking to the Gentiles about it. What do you think we need to remind ourselves about and preach to the
2: world this evening? Mm. You know, there is an interesting order to the items listed above. Did anybody catch that? There are some things listed in order, and it's pretty fascinating That order it puts it in. I want to show this to you on a slide. What's listed is that fragrant fragrant incense would be burnt daily. That there would be consecrated bread daily. Then it mentions the morning and evening burnt offerings. Did you catch that? Then it mentions the Sabbath offerings that are to be burnt offerings. Then it mentions the monthly sacrifices or the new moon offerings. Festivals, which is Rosh Chodesh. Then it mentions the yearly sacrifices at the feasts. And at the very end it says this is to be a lasting ordinance in Israel. That's pretty interesting when you take the order of the layout of the temple. Come on. That that's not quite in order with the layout of the temple, is it? Where would you start if you were walking into the temple? The gates of praise, and then you move on to the what? The bronze altar. And then you move on to the wash basin, and then you can finally get into the holy place
5: yeah.
2: where you have fragrant incense yeah. and consecrated bread. Very interesting. Solomon had to know what the order of the layout was, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. But there's something there. When you think about this order, you've got to put it chronologically. Your daily prayer has to be fragrant. Oh, come on. Yeah. Good. Yeah. You can't just be praying ordinary prayers. You can't just be praying for yourself. Your prayers have to be fragrant before the Lord and prayers that are lifted up to Him. That's a good word. Your daily bread needs to be hot and fresh. Oh, come Say on. hot and fresh. I'm hot and fresh. fresh. It's got to be consecrated bread. It's got to be bread that's worth giving to other people. Yeah. That leads to your daily sacrifices, your morning and evening repentance that occurs out of your prayer and your study of the word. Amen. Which leads to your weekly Sabbath rest. Your weekly Sabbath rest should not compete with other worldly pursuits. Then that leads to your monthly refocus on your family banner. Man, that's vital, isn't it? Yeah. Man, that is so vital you can't function without it. And then that leads to your yearly assessment in what the Lord has spoken to you and the body God has put you in. Amen. Do you see how those things are chronologically ordered there? When your daily prayer is fragrant, when your daily bread is consecrated, you daily repent. You check the status of your homes weekly. You revisit your mezuzah monthly and you yearly gauge your progress to what the Lord is speaking to the body and what he has spoken to you for the year and the years to come. Now, notice that Solomon said these things would be a lasting ordinance. This is my favorite part. Solomon said that these things would be a lasting ordinance. What does that mean? Does that mean it ends in a week? Does that mean it ends in a year? No, No, it lasts forever. Well, that's an interesting concept. I believe this is because Ezekiel speaks of these things occurring in the third temple. The exact things that are listed that Solomon writes is what Ezekiel says will happen forever in the third temple. But we're not preaching on Ezekiel tonight. Practically speaking... We are the temple. Oh, come on. Come on. Say that with me. I am the temple. I I am am the temple. temple. And this should be a lasting ordinance in us. This ordinance should be happening in us forever for eternity because we are being built and will be built into a temple where his spirit dwells forever. Look, if you do these things, if you do them daily and you build that into your yearly sacrifices and this is a lasting ordinance for you, the Spirit of God has promised to dwell in you forever. The Spirit now is a deposit guaranteeing is what to come.
1: Yeah. You know, I think Pastor Matthew and Pastor Wade may Woo. have given us something so crazy similar to this. It's almost like they knew something should be a lasting and yet daily ordinance for us. I them. think they did. Mm. Daily word from his presence. Daily led by his Spirit. Daily development of your dependents and disciples. Yeah. Daily agreement between the Word and the Spirit. Daily offering right sacrifices. Daily interceding for the salvation of others and daily repentance. Saints, you know how these foremen got these tools? It's because they were interacting with the tabernacle and they knew what you needed. There's one more I want to pull up that we just talked about yesterday. Seven core principles that came from your pastors. You saw in yesterday's sermon. How this outline shows you the plan of God. It lined up with the feast. It lines up with God's order for his people. Yeah. Saints, this is our function. This is our lasting ordinance that should show up like daily incense rising, but also be something that is eternal for the future. Can somebody in this house say that God has been good to us? Yes. yes. Us. His revelation is permeating our way of life, and we are learning to replicate it, to Follow them in it and become like it. We have to build these things now because we will do it forever as and in the temple of God. As the temple of God and into the temple of God. Hey, what's verse
3: five? The temple I want to build will be great because our God is
2: greater than all other gods. Man, I don't know about you, but I just love that verse. Read it one more time, brother. Just one more.
3: (laughs) I am going to build will be great because our God is greater than all other gods.
2: Yes. I love the fact that Solomon is saying that because our temple is greater than all the other temples on the earth, it shows that our God is greater. Yeah. Look, the temple that Solomon is soon to build, historically, you can read about it. Secular authors comment on it as long as the day is. The, the temple that Solomon will soon build, will be the most magnificent work of architecture, design, and grandeur that the entire world has ever seen. There was nothing like this in antiquity up till this moment. Just look at the sheer amounts of gold being used. Remember we talked about that it was something like hundreds of tons of gold. Almost the entire structure was covered in gold. And all of that is to show the world that our God has dominance over all the other gods. There had been other temples and towers built. Think about the Tower of Babel. Think about uh, all of the, the crazy things that the Babylonians built. But nothing like this had ever been seen in the ancient world. It's true. Think about the Empire State Building. When the Empire State Building was built, there had been no building on the planet that was as tall, as ornate, and that unique. And that has nothing on this. Right. That literally c- does not compare to the temple that Solomon is about to build. And all of this was to show God's supremacy over the other lesser gods. You heard Justin speaking about all the gold
1: that was used, right? Yeah, right. They paneled the inside of the walls with it. I mean, it's crazy the things that were done. You remember most of those materials used in its construction were obtained through conquest at the hand of David and his God, Yahweh Sabaoth. Yeah. Yeah. It shows his supremacy both in its quality and in the means by which the materials were derived. Yeah. His temple is adorned literally with the spoils of his wars. Yeah. Yeah. When we say great temple, yes, it was exceedingly magnificent, but it was also built with the blood of archons. It was built with the blood-stained hands of David's sword, and Solomon is now assembling the pieces. His temple was placed permanently as a testimony to his name, his character, his body of work, his representation, and his supremacy over all other gods. This is also what we do when we have his name inside of us, that is, us as the temple collectively. As we display the name at work in us, We display the supremacy of our God anywhere that we go, everywhere that he sends us. Would you like to hear just a little bit about that subject? Somebody turn to Acts 19, pick up in 26 and 27. Somebody else get Revelation 21, 4. Joe, you get Revelation 21.
3: Acts
1: 19, 26, 27. Yeah, Acts 19, 26, and 27.
3: And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man made gods and no gods at all. Mm. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good good name, Mm. but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis Artemis will be desecrated. discredited. excuse me, and the goddess herself who is worshiped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine
2: majesty. Now put this together. Paul was a man who was a temple for God's name. And he was being built into the temple as he went. So we have the temple, and Solomon says, look, this is a temple for God's name. That temple didn't move very far, did it? No, it stayed in one place. On a mountain in Jerusalem. Here you have Paul that is a temple for God's name, yeah. and he's being built into the temple, and he's not stationary, he's mobile, he's on the move. God's temple now is on the move. When Paul showed up, he displayed God's name and supremacy through his actions. He is God's <laughs> temple. His temple is showing up in other places, and through his actions, he is displaying. God's name inside of them and God's supremacy over the other temples. Oh, yeah. So much so they were worried. They're like, our temple's going to be robbed of the divine majesty because Paul showed up. Wow. They're not looking at Solomon's temple and saying, man, yeah, we don't quite stack up. They're looking at Paul's actions through the Holy Spirit inside of him and saying, hey, he's robbing us of our divine majesty. Sounds
5: this like was a great spoils. threat
2: to other temples and other gods. Think about everywhere Paul went. He was a great threat. To other gods and other temples. I mean, he goes into the Ephesian arena, man. And they're shouting, great is Artemis, God of the Ephesians. And Paul's about to go in there and show them the real name of God. The greatest expression to the supremacy of God's name was Paul acting as a carrier of God's name. (laughs) When Paul is acting as a temple that is housing the name of God, when the name of God is showing up in his actions, When the character of God is showing up in his actions, when the attributes of God is showing up in his actions, that is the greatest expression to the supremacy of God's name. When God's people are unified in displaying God's supremacy, they become the temple. So if Paul, just one man, was a great threat to that temple, guess how much of a threat we are collectively when we are displaying the attributes, character, and the body of work of our God. Man, we are dangerous to the enemy when we do that.
1: Now, didn't the Apostle Paul say that he made much of his ministry among the Gentiles? His hope was that he would raise some Jews to jealousy through his efforts. He was a man who carried the name and saw Gentiles carry a name that they did not know before, Mm. even filled with Mm. the Holy Spirit. It's almost like something is being hinted at in this passage, that to see the kingdom of God built, Solomon had to raise up 70 Carriers. Seventy yeah. carriers to be able to reach the nations. Just Why? curious. Hey, who has Revelation 21?
0: Revelation 21.4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. One through
1: four, brother. One through four.
0: Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the
2: first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea.
1: You can pause there, brother. When we're speaking about the supremacy of God and his temple... His name, the place that He chooses to dwell. This is foreshadowing something that is going to happen that we're reading about right now. See, this temple is not just showing dominance in that, hey, we have an established king of Israel. He's fought all of His earthly wars. They're able to build this thing, so obviously God is dominant. It's showing dominance in the heavens yeah. and on the earth. Yeah. The gold is from the earth, but it was taken from the power of the heavens. Everything about the temple is is showing something that has been established in a kind of strength that is born from above and is a higher power than all powers. Yeah. Verse 2. I saw the
0: holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Oh, come
1: on. Amen. Listen, every man in this room, we are going to be a bride and we are a bride. Amen. But we are Amen. also Amen. a temple. They're one in the same. So you do get to build something. And we're preparing ourselves to reunite with our Christ. If the earthly temple, the shadow, the representation displayed God's supremacy, both to the earth and to the heavens. Does it not make sense that Ephesians 3 says that you, the church, were destined to display his manifold wisdom upon the earth? That your actions, that your linen, your wedding dress, your deeds are meant to display the same message? We are called to proclaim His supremacy now, as we are being built into His house. Verse three. And
0: I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. It will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God." Yeah. You can get he will verse four. Every tear from their eyes for it will be no more death, or or crying, or pain, for the whole order of things has passed away.
1: Saints, this is the reign of Solomon. No tear. Can stop being shed if we still have enemies that are being fought. This is when David has fought his wars and we are being assembled as those that have believed and that hold his name, that bear his name. And we are established in the ultimate statement of supremacy that he both redeemed his people out of Egypt and was able to redeem them again and again. And he rescued us from the nations of this earth. Man, I want to give it to him in little parts now. He called this body to be a representation of the temple of God and his supremacy upon the earth. Saints, you have a higher calling than we realize. We hear these things preached about, but all too often we feel low down and earthly. You don't know who you are on a Monday morning after hearing this amazing sermon on Sunday. Saints, we need to recognize that we are here not just to be eaten, but to build something. And that we do not have to be liable to the lions. It is our time to show God's supremacy. There is no earthly building that can do that for us. Lenton, will you get verse 6 for us?
3: But who is able to build a temple for him? Since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him, who then am I to build a temple for him, except as a place to burn sacrifices before him?
2: Okay, so this is going to get really good. But you got to start connecting some things. And I know some of you are. But I want to help you just a little bit. When we get to the end of Revelation, we are seeing an ultimate expression of God's supremacy over the heaven and the earth at the same time. His temple is coming down to the earth. But what's also coming with it? His bride. His bride is coming with it. This is the moment when the bride of Christ and the temple merge to become the permanent testimony of God's name. You have the bride, which is the temple, meeting the actual temple and they're merging to form a permanent testimony. Look, right now we're, t- we're carriers of God's name and we are a temple for God's name. But you're going to see this in a little bit deeper of a level. Solomon is saying, look, right now this temple I'm building, it cannot contain him. As a matter of fact, even the highest heavens can't contain him. Yeah. So the question is, really, why is Solomon building that temple? <laughs> why is he building it if it's not going to contain God? Well, the purpose was never to contain God. Yeah. The purpose was to contain the testimony of God's name Come on. so that it could be a focal point. I want to read to you Psalm 139, verse 7 through 12, and we're going to have that on the screen. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Do you get the impression that the presence of God is everywhere? Yeah.
5: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Listen to verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be too dark to you. Even the darkness can't stop you from being in the presence of God. Yeah. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. Amen. Look, clearly, the presence of God is everywhere. Clearly, it's everywhere. Yeah. We like to say things, we like to we like to talk about worship meetings and, and say things like, wow, the presence of God really showed up.
5: Yeah.
2: But that's not quite true. What's really happening is you just become aware of his presence. That was already there before you and your heart was softened as you became aware. Your heart was hard so you couldn't sense it. And as you get into worship, you're inclining your heart and then you realize, wow, the presence of God is here and I didn't know it. Mm. Look, if that were true, if the presence of God only shows up when we decide to worship him. Well, then that would mean we would have less of the presence of God on Sunday because some people decide to stay home and worship by themselves. The presence of God is not limited to a quantitative measure. It is qualitatively measured around you by the condition of your heart. Look, we also say that because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, then we walk in the fullness of his presence everywhere we go. And that's somewhat true. And when I say that, you know that's not entirely true, is it? No. While this is somewhat true, Peter was beside Christ and didn't recognize at first that he was the full focal point ...of God's presence. Peter was a man who was seeking after God's presence... ...and he did not realize that Jesus was right beside him... ...who was the full presence of God. Look, the presence of God is everywhere. It's all around you. It's in the room right now. It'll be there when you leave. It'll be in your homes. You just have to awaken to what is already there. Come on, let me help
1: you contextualize this for a moment. The presence of God is permeating everything... ...holding the earth, the world, and everything in its system... Our heart's condition and awareness allows us to recognize it. Yeah. But when we say to ourselves, taking that concept, Oh, oh, the presence of God shows up just as strong with me and my wife in my living room. Oh. <laughs> now the presence of God was there whether or not you are righteous or rebellious. Your ability to interact with it and him having any focus on you is dependent upon your heart. Whether or not he wants you to feel him whether he would like to move upon you is dependent upon you being in right order. And it just so happens that his right order causes us to worship together. Of course you feel the presence of God more strongly when you're in a room filled with believers that are obeying the word of God. It makes total sense when you consider that. Listen, we try to form strange kind of doctrines around this kind of stuff. Men use it as a reason, as an excuse to worship anywhere at any point in time that they would like. But the reality is his presence is there watching every single moment. The only thing that has changed is your heart. What we want is a heart that can his presence can move in freely. That is longing for him. That understands the gravity of his magnitude. Listen, we're trying to fathom something that is difficult for us to fathom. Praise God, we're going to be regenerated. We're going to have a new body and a new mind. And one day we'll be able to grasp it entirely. But he is infinitely majestic. He's magnificent in power. If you spent 10,000 years trying to grasp this, you would only be ascending the foothills of the mountain of God. He gives us focal points so that we might understand who he is. We're learning parts of the whole, but he is infinite. Solomon understood this correctly, man, and he is seeing something important that most miss here. In his great work, in his great calling, he has not come to the conclusion that the world runs around his great work and his great calling. He fully understands that it has very little to do with it other than he's an obedient servant. You remember covering this last week. God is everywhere, but he wants to give his people a focal point. He recognizes that this magnificent God cares enough about us to have a place that you can meet together and feel it, that it has clarity, that it is intentionally more clear than when you're praying by yourself. It was intended to bind us together around his word and around his spirit. The temple is where God's very name, his representation, dwells. And it served as a sign on the earth of who he is. Saints, now we have become that sign on the earth. And listen, you are not an effective representation on your own. You're at best a half-chiseled stone trying to become a useful instrument. But together, collectively, we form a better image. The intricate details of the temple are all designed for us, for the purpose of us understanding the supremacy of God's name. The intricate details of our lives should be designed and modeled after our father to show
2: the supremacy of his name. I love that. In the next couple chapters, we're going to get into, in chapters 3 to 5, those intricate details of the temple. Out of all the places on the planet, we just read that God is everywhere. His presence is in all places. Even if you are so far away that you're in the darkness, he's still there. There's no place that God's presence is not. And yet he chose one place for his name to dwell. The temple was not a container for his presence. It was a container where his name was focused on. And those intricate details were intended for you to look at the temple and say, Man, I'm learning something new about God's character. Why did he put a brazen altar first? Because there's something about God's character that demands that I repent of my sin. There is something there to be studied. And in fact, there have been many focal points throughout history. Think about the Ark of the Covenant. It was a focal point where God's name dwelled. Think about Moses' tabernacle. That was a focal point for all of mankind to look at it and see... The name of God and the supremacy of it. Think about the temple. Think about Israel. Think about the Jewish people. And think about Jesus, the Messiah of the Jewish people himself. He is the ultimate focal point of God's name and the supremacy that God's name has. And being that Jesus is now at the Father's right hand, what is the focal point now? It's the church of the living God. It is the church of the living God. The focal point for all of heaven and earth is you in this room. You are the focal point. The family of believers made up of Jew and Gentile collectively paint a picture of God's name and supremacy as we grow and act out his will on earth. Think about how many scriptures that say that you are. The church is the pillar of truth. The church is the manifold wisdom of God being displayed in the heavens and on the earth of God's plan. You are the focal point collectively. Now, I'm not just talking about one person being the focal point. I'm saying the body as a whole is the focal point now on the earth for everyone to see and say, wow, God's name dwells with them. And I could see that they're supreme because of God's spirit and name dwelling in them. There is no place. Now, I want you to think about that. That's, pr- that's a pretty deep concept, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, think about this for a second. There is no place on Earth that you can stand and see all the oceans at once. Mm. It's impossible. Where right. are you going to do that from? Fiji? Well, you're missing the Atlantic. <laughs> you can gather samples of all the ocean's waters, and you can put them in an aquarium, and you can kind of get a representation of the Earth's oceans. But it's not the full picture, is it? No. No, it's a representation. We are that represent, representation of God to the world. Yeah. Look, they can't see God in his fullness. No one can look at God and say, wow, I see everything that he is. But you know what they see? They see Elder Charlie standing firm in his faith while he is working in the body. Yeah. They see Spencer standing firm even though everything is against him. And he is working out his will because Amen. his name is supreme. Amen. They can't see the full, the full attributes of God. But they can look at you, church. And they can see that you are a focal point. That's good. The image is more complete the more of us there are. Man, that's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. The more disciples that we raise up, the more disciples that we train to carry God's name, the bigger the picture gets and the better that the world can see it. We must work to build the body up, don't we, church? Yes. We must work to build the body up. That is how the world will see the supremacy of His name. Do you want to show the world the supremacy yeah. of His name? Yes. Then we're going to have to be discipled. We're going to have to carry His name. India. Hey, what's verse seven, Linton?
3: Send me, therefore, a man skilled to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, and in purple, crimson, and blue yarn, and experienced in the art of engraving, to work in Judah and Jerusalem with my skilled craftsmen, whom my father David provided.
1: Man. Send me, therefore, a man, not just a man, but a skilled man, a man who knows what he is doing, who understands his call, who understands his function, who understands his purpose. And we want to say that the call from the Davidic son tonight is send me a man. I believe that the Lord is breathing that in the room, that some of you have the opportunity to rise in a way that you never have. That he's calling out to you, send me a man who's willing to fulfill his calling and his purpose. When God gave Moses the plans for the tabernacle, he told him something very similar. He sent him someone. I'm going to read to you Exodus 31, 1 through 3, and Justin's going to tell you about it. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uriah, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, And I filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, ability, and
2: knowledge in all kinds of crafts. Look, Solomon is building a temple that is going to be a focal point for God's name. And the very first thing he says to the king of Tyre, by which is who? A Jew? No. No, he's a Gentile. The very first thing that he says is, send me a man. Send me a man who will help build this focal point for God's name. This goes back to the tabernacle. Whenever the tabernacle was to be built, God told Moses, I have chosen a man, and I'm sending him to you. When God needs something to be built, you know what he does? He chooses a man, and then he sends them. He chooses a man, and then that man is sent to build. It's safe to say here at LCM that if you are sent anywhere... You're sent to build. You're not sent to do anything else other than build. Hey, why were you sent to LCM? Come on,
1: somebody say it again.
2: Hey, what do you learn at LCM? How to build better. If you are sent in the future, what are you sent for? To build. build. Come on, the cry of God is calling tonight, and he's saying, send me a man. Because he wants somebody to help build his temple on the earth. You are not sent to this place to sit and soak. You're not sent in this place to listen to the building plans and decide which ones you don't like. You are sent here to build and nothing else. If you are sent, you're sent to build. God's calling out all over the earth, send me a man who's willing to build. There's not many men who are willing to build. There's many armchair quarterbacks. But God is requiring men who are ready to get their hands to the work. Now listen, Solomon
1: didn't just ask for any random guy off of the street. He asked for a specific kind of man, man who's skilled in the work. Saints, we have to understand our work and our calling. But more than that, he wanted one who could work with his craftsmen. Did you catch that? He doesn't want him working off on his own. He's not a lone wolf. He's not a hired gun. He asked for a skilled man who could work alongside his Israeli craftsmen. It's almost like the king of Israel, the king of the world, is building something here. And that he needs Jews and Gentiles who are willing to work, who are skilled and understand their job. The man was skilled, and he was a Gentile. He was one who would be able to work with Israeli craftsmen. might even see a Ramez, that he's somehow related to him in a mystery. He did not revise the building plans. He takes what is given to him from Solomon and he goes to work with it. Saints, we cannot revise the plan of God to our liking wow. and we do not get to revise the plans that God sent you here to build. Listen, follow the plans. Follow the foreman. You were called to a holy work site. Yeah. It's time that we succeed in every area and grow to our fullest potential. Amen. Yeah. And In verse 13, it's gonna go on to say that he was a man of great skill. They continue to describe, it's almost like the man's developing as he's being discipled. He's growing in his capacity for the task. Listen, he had to be a skilled man because the work was holy. Do you have holy work to do? Listen, he was not a track-touting fool. He was not someone who had a habit of sitting and soaking. He was a man with calluses on his hands who understands how to get up and do something every day till he succeeds. To not quit, to not lose faith in the design, but to fight for it. Saints, I want to be like this man. There are a lot of great figures in this story, but all you know about this guy is that he was faithful to his work and he was good at his family function. That's enough for me. Can you hear that call? Listen. This is not some kind of emotional ploy. We're your family. We feel it in the same way that you do when your hearts are soft. God is calling for us to be that man tonight. Amen. For a lot of reasons, if we're just looking at this in a historical sense, you would talk all night about Tyre, you talk all night about Solomon, you talk all night about the gold. But I can hear the voice of God saying, I need a skilled man. I need one who is willing to work alongside his brothers. Come on, send me a man. Brother Israelites or brother Gentiles. See, we cannot accomplish this work if we're not willing to work with our foreman and the brothers on our left and right. We are not here to listen to the plans and decide our own preferences. God sent us here and conscripted us to a plan that he had already produced. I'm not messing with his production timeline. Amen, Charlie? Look, the focal point of Solomon's request was for men, not materials. He's going to have both. Yeah, But men come first, materials come afterwards. Yeah. Listen, that's a word for LCM tonight. There may be things that we are lacking in a material sense. But when men are willing to rise up and follow the king of Israel, we can accomplish his job. Yeah. Materials without men are useless. We would gladly trade tithes, offerings for men that are skilled
2: and ready to do the work and will work with their brother Israelites and not quit. Hey, you know, you know what I've noticed about the right men? They may show up without the materials. They may show up. I don't know. (laughs) Ready to work. But right men bring their own tools to work. Men without materials are useless. But the right men bring the materials with them. They really bring their tools man. to work.
1: Really good man. He might even go buy the materials that were needed and <laughs> trust that you'll work it out later. <laughs>
2: He'll give you the receipt after. Look, what this is after is not about money. This is after the character of the man that God is sending to this place. Yeah. Jesus said, look, the harvest is right. Therefore, pray that he sends workers into the field. Yeah. That is what we're after tonight. If people come through those doors, we look at them and we say... Hey, did God send you here to build, or are you here for something else? Because honestly, God doesn't send people anywhere else unless they're there to build. That's what God sends people to do. He is calling to send a man. Amen? Amen. Amen. Who's got verse 8? Well, that's Lenten. <laughs> send me
3: also, Zia, Han, and Alvin Laws from Lebanon. For I know that your men are skilled in cutting timber. My men will work with yours to provide me with plenty of lumber, Because the temple I I built must be large and magnificent. I will give your servants, the woodsmen, who cut the timber, 20,000 cores of ground wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 baths of olive oil.
2: Now this is incredible. Solomon, after he's asked for men, he's also saying, send cedar. He's saying that my men will work with yours. Mm. And then he's telling them what he's going to give the men who come. It's amazing. It's great news that Gentile kings are willing to work with Israeli plans, isn't it? That's what the Gentiles are required to do. We don't get to come in and change the plans. We are required to go with Israeli foremen and follow the plans that they have. We're called to work together. But there's something beautiful about this. Gentiles, the men that get conscripted, us that join the cause of the unified body of Christ. The king gives us something. In return. Now, that's going to sound a little bit, I don't know, uh, ironic. No, not ironic. It's going to sound weird because we don't like to talk about getting any- anything in return, don't we? I mean, this is LCM. We don't need anything in return, right? And yet, there is a certain character of our king that he gives us provisions while we are doing the work. And you've got to love that about him. We have the character to stand up and say, you know what? Even if I got a fork, I will rise and charge the gates of hell. Yeah. But God wants to give you something better than a fork, amen? Yeah.
1: On that yeah. note, Brother Linton, read the first uh, three verses of verse 10 again for me, real quick.
3: I will give your servants the woodsman who cut the timbers. That's
1: perfect, man. We have a contract between two kings, and who's being paid? The servants, Come not on. the king.
2: Come
0: on. Good. And what Let's is he that? giving them? That's good.
2: What is it giving him? I mean, yeah, I love this. Bread, wine, beer, Amen. and olive oil. Does it doesn't get better than that, right? Hey, i work. Yeah. When you're digging a trench and the boss shows up with beer, wine, and olive oil and bread. Man, that's a good day. What a joy it is to be sent. Y'all like that, didn't you? What a joy it is to be sent to build for the Davidic son. Come on. What a joy it is to hear that call like Isaiah 6 who will go and you stand up and say I send me I will go and not only does he include you but he gives you provision and gifts to do the work amen hey that's a good boss to work for isn't it yeah. Yeah. look we want to hand out some scriptures on this topic who wants to read spencer would you get joel 228 through 29 nolan you get 1 Corinthians 12 7 7 through 10 Rob, you get Ephesians 1, 18 through 19. JJ, you get Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, and you're going to be interrupted quite a bit during that. <laughs> uh, we got a few more. Emmy, you're going to get Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. Cho, you get Psalm 37, 25 through 26. Steve Thomas, you're going to get Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. And... Uh, Hayes, you're gonna get Matthew 6, 33 through 34. And because I called on some of you who are way out there to read, and the recorder is right here, we would ask that you read loud and clear. You got everybody say it loud, loud. and clear. And clear. Matter of fact, just stand to
1: your feet when you read it. That'll Ooh, fix it. Yeah.
2: spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit.
1: And praise the living God that we have a Davidic king that is willing to pour things out upon the goim as well. Amen. Saints, these men, they were servants. Servants to another king. They belonged to another house in another nation. And yet the king Of Israel had mercy on them. He sent them oil. He anointed them with supernatural gifts. He gave them what was needed to complete the work. Why? Because they were willing to work alongside his people. And they were laboring to see his temple built, his plans, and his kingdom done. Saints, we have a great hope when we recognize the people, the place, the plan. When we understand that Israel is the focal point, we're just helping. But when we have that great hope, we have a king who looks with favor upon us, even if we're using an axe out there and used to belong to a different kingdom. Or <laughs> well, what business does Solomon have giving provisions to tyres men? Saints, when you have a contract in construction, you do not pay the worker. That does not go over very well with the foreman. You pay the guy who you sign the contract with, not the workers. Saints, this is unusual. And it shows something of the character of our God that when men are enlisted into his service that are skilled, that are willing, that are able, that recognize their function and their place in history, he pours something out on them. Yeah. Praise God he didn't leave us as Baptists. It would be very hard to do this work without it.
2: Ooh.
1: Hey, who has Corinthians?
3: First Corinthians 7-10. Oh, 12 7 through 10
2: Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given... For the common good to one there is given through the spirit, the message of wisdom to another, the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by that one spirit to another miraculous powers to another prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits and to another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. Oh man, what kind of a king do we have? Oh, yeah. Not only does he empower us with the Holy Spirit. By the way, if he didn't empower us with the Holy Spirit, all of us would drop dead just because of the amount of ministry we do. Thank God he gives us the Holy Spirit to keep us going. Come on. But not only does he give us empowerment, he gives us specific gifts to sustain the body. Say specific gifts. Look, I know many of you enjoy using your giftings, don't you?
4: Yes. Yes.
2: I enjoy using my giftings. It actually makes life fun to have a gift from God and say, man, you gave this to me. You're making me good at it. I have it and I get to use it to build up the body. That's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. It makes life worth living. These things are for the Lord and for the workers to keep them going. Look, when the boss brings you lunch while you're digging a trench, it endears you to him. You should think of the specific gifts that God has given every single one of you. Just think, think of the gifts that God has given each one of you in your mind. You could probably name a few. Those are given for you and it should endear your heart to the king. He's given you that so that you can minister. He hasn't left you without tools in your hands. He's given you those things. Who's got Ephesians 1, 18 through 19? I did. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms.
1: Saints, this is a common scripture in LCM. This is one of those that has made it into a lot of our services. And yet I still find myself praying that we, LCM, would know the depth to which he has blessed us. The degree to which we have an inheritance in him. To fully understand the might that is now at work in you. Saints, when we understand the depths of that, we will not fall to the same sins and the same carnal attributes that constantly dominate us. Listen, there is an enemy that is prowling and there is a house that must be built. It's time that we recognize that we have more at our disposal than just being charismatics who know how to pray in tongues. He's given us gifts that are so much beyond that. Your ability to prophesy and the things that he has given you are just barely getting started. Man, the God of all creation who cannot be contained in the most magnificent temple that has ever existed on the face of the earth dwells in you. And yet we settle for praying in tongues. Saints, I... Love praying in tongues. I'd argue that I pray in tongues then more often than many of you. But are we really saying that that's the depth of all that he has given you in this house? No. 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 Saints, we are going to grow in our awareness. We're going to grow in our power. We're going to grow in our confidence and courage before the Almighty God. And we're going to stop letting trifle little things hang us up. Or we're called to a great work. And our King has provided everything that we need to succeed in it. Amen. Somebody say, "He's provided. He's provided for me, for me, for, me. for us, for, for us,
2: for his, house. for his house." Who's got Ephesians four seven?
4: But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned
2: it. But to each one of us, what's been given? Grace. Grace. What is grace? It's Power. the ability to say no to sin. You have the ability to say no to sin because God gave you that gift. That's amazing, isn't it? Gotcha. Keep going, JJ. This is why it says, when
4: he ascended on high, he laid captives in his train
2: and gave gifts to men. Now I want to pause right there. This is a, a quote from Psalm 68, verse 13. I want to read this to you. It says, when you ascended on high, you led captives in your train. You received gifts from men, even from the rebellious. That you, O Lord God, might dwell there. Now, this is a quote from Psalm 68, planted right in Ephesians 4. You guys know where Ephesians 4 is going. It's it's going to start talking about the fivefold ministry. Yeah. But you want to know the context to Psalm 68. Yeah. It presents the Lord as taking plunder from the gods of this earth, material plunder, and men, taking men from the clutches of the evil archons of the earth. And when he descends after the battle, before he does, he gives gifts to men. Can you imagine what those men, can you imagine what those gifts are? The men that he stole from the enemy's camp. Keep going in verse 9 and you're going to see this.
4: What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for worship service so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness
2: of Christ. So if we pause right there, many of us understand Ephesians 4. God gives us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to prepare us. Those men should be viewed as a gift, right? Yes. If we take that into account with Psalm 68 in context, what he's saying there is that God stole these men from the enemy's camp, cleaned them up, and then gave them to the body. Come on. These men are gifts to the body that God cleaned up for your sake. Amen. Keep on in verse 14
4: by the here and there by every of teaching by the cunning and craftiness
2: of men Hey, when will you no longer be infants? When you realize that these men were given to you as a gift? That's when you will no longer be infants, toss back and forth. Keep going in 15. as each part does its work Ooh, sounds like look we are building and being built up because of the gifts God's given us. God gives us the Holy Spirit. everybody say amen, amen. amen. you're not Baptists tonight praise God yeah. Hallelujah. He also gives us he also gives us giftings of the Spirit and he also snatches men from the clutches of rebellious archons and gives them to the body so that Hallelujah. they, can learn to build man you ought to say hallelujah for that our fathers elders and their wives are gifts from on high to train us to be like them they are gifts to us if you received a million dollars from a sweepstakes you would still not have as good of a gift as a pastor born of heaven who is dedicated to training you man if you got a phone call and said you want a million dollars and it wasn't a scam you might jump up and be excited But you've got more than that every Wednesday and Sunday and the nights in between when you show up at houses of fellowship. You have a gift from heaven (laughs) given to you. Look, most Christians in India, most Christians in India, China and Africa will walk 20 miles to find someone who can teach them how to build. It's the truth. They're desperate. They got saved out in the bush somewhere and they want someone to show them how to build. What do we value most at LCM? That the teaching is good? Man, I really like the teaching. They center around the word. That the fellowship is lively? Man, I've never seen people that love each other more than this group. Or do you like that the worship is energetic? I want to tell you those are all good things, but that doesn't compare to the value that God has given you in the men in this room. These men are gifts to you. You may value the fact that God sent you to build where there are men and women who can teach you. Yeah. Look, all of us are called to build. Yeah. And God has sent you here to what? Build. Come on, send me a man who can build. Yeah. And that is why you're here, to
1: learn how to build. All right. So we're beginning to wrap our minds around the glorious inheritance that Christ has in us and we have in him. Yeah. It's not just you speaking in tongues. It's the task that you've been placed on. Yeah. Now listen, nobody likes a foreman's job. <laughs> nobody likes it when he does his job. They would all prefer that they did his, he did his job differently. Everybody wants to hear his correction a little differently. But he wouldn't be a foreman if he did what you wanted. His job's to do what the king wants.
4: That's, that's why he's job. there. That's, that's a good word.
1: Saints. You may have gotten under control where you understand it's oil upon my head and you're responding to it. But I want to tell you, you don't really love God's inheritance until you start to be a good foreman to your own family. Come on. You need to learn to not just accept what your workers are telling you or what your spouse, who you dearly love, is telling you or what your children are telling you. It's your job to make sure it's built according to the pattern. We are called to safeguard the work in this house. It is our job to replicate, to come follow come what on. these men have done. Yes. Listen, if you really value it, then replicate it. Demonstrate it, not just in words. It's time that we rise to be the leaders that we're called to be. Yes. Now listen, Christ has blessed us both spiritually and physically, just like the king of Israel has. Come on, say spiritually. Spiritually. He- and physically. And physically. One more time. Spiritually. Spiritually. And, and Saints, when you have COVID, when your nose is running, you're blessed spiritually and physically in this house. I don't want to hear otherwise out of your mouth because it is not true according to the word of God. Listen, he has blessed us richly. Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. (laughs) If this is true about a cow, a heifer, as Justin likes to say, in Israel. How much more does the king love to take care of those that work for him? Remember, our context is verse 10 here. The king of Israel gives provisions to Gentile servants who are working for him like an oxen. They are accomplishing his will. He will provide for you with every physical need if you trust him. Hear me, young men. Hear me, older men. Hear me, ladies. When I say physical need, I mean every physical need. Your father knows what you need. It is time that we trust him both for spiritual and physical blessings, that he is able to care for us, that he has the right portion and the right timing. You may not look like you're being taken care of at times. We've all been sick. Many of us have experienced times that feel like persecution. But if you look back on your life, you can see so many times that the king has gifted you with what you needed. Over and over again, you doubted whether or not you were going to get it, but he always gave it to you. It's time that we learn to count on the king of Israel's provision coming in because we're in his employ. When we're working for him, he gets the paychecks when we need them. I promise. And the
2: second you don't get it, it means that your time and service is over. Hey, look, the moment that you start complaining about finances, the moment that you start complaining that you're sick or you're hungry or this and that, or that your physical needs are not met, what does that say about your boss? It speaks a message that he's not a good boss. Yeah. Look, I promise you, our king takes care of you physically whether you see it or not. And we're going to show you that. Look, Psalm 37, verse 25 through 26. Did we hand that out? Yeah. I was young and now
0: I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging
2: bread. They are always generous and men freely. Their children will be blessed. Man, I don't... When I see people on the streets holding signs that say, please give me money, I'm a Christian, God bless you, I'm a child of God, I say that can't be true because of this verse. God's employees are never left to go beg for bread. I listen to people all the time and they're like, man, I don't have what I need, I'm just not doing good financially. And I say, man, I don't know who you're working for because my king always supplies my needs. Even if I don't have it now, I know he will supply my needs in the future. David said, I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. That's because the king of the righteous is a good king. Those that work for the king are never kept lacking. You may be lacking now, but I promise he sees your need and he will bring it. He will always provide in supernatural ways. The physical provision that you need. Man, I've seen so many times in my life where I had nothing. And then the very next day, a supernatural offering came in. And I can't tell you the Lord gave me exactly what I need. And it wasn't just one time. It wasn't just two times. It's been hundreds of times throughout my life. Because the king takes care of his workers. Church, we serve a God that can blot out the sky with
1: ravens. Yes. The problem is our faith. We just need to wait a little longer doing what he told us to do. Yeah. Saints, we can't wonder why we don't have what we need when we're not using what he's given us. Sure. Lord, get back to the work. Get back to the work. Put your head down to the plow and do your job. And trust that he'll take care of the rest. Yeah. Listen, when you work for the Lord, when you're his son, when you're his servant, some things are above your pay grade, quite literally. Your job is to do what he told you to do. Your job is to be the foreman in your own house with your children and respond to those that are over you well. How we get the work done and where the timber's coming from is not your responsibility. We serve a God who's better at logistics than you,
2: I promise. Hey, if your boss tells you, hey, I'm bringing lunch for you, get to work. And you sit there on your butt and wait for him to bring lunch. What's he going to do when he shows up? Not going to be very happy, is he? Oftentimes, when you're waiting on provision from the Lord, you get to work. You get to work doing what you know he's called you to do. And before you know it, that provision shows up. You don't sit around and wait for it. You do the very thing he told you to do. Hey, who's got Ephesians 3?
0: Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Man, He's
2: able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. I want you to think about that. He knows what you're going to ask before you ask it. He knows what, you're, what you need before you need it. He knows what your imagination is like and what you're thinking that the Lord might possibly do. And He is always able... To do more than you can ask or imagine. Look, it's so much easier to work for our own provisions. But it's not very rewarding. You can go out and do anything you want and try to build a great retirement or whatever for yourself. But it's not very rewarding. You ever been tempted to buy something you really want? And you're like, man, I don't know if this is the Lord's will. And Pastor Wade told me to pray about it and I kind of get the sense that he's not approving, but I, I just want it. It's, it's a good deal. I'm going to get it.
1: That's code for he told me not to do it, and I reinterpreted his pray about <laughs> it. Exactly.
2: It's <laughs> exactly what we're saying. And then after you get what you want, you get that feeling of, man, I should have waited on the Lord. Went off and did it on my own, and, and it doesn't feel right. Something doesn't feel right. I'm happy with this new thing that I got. But I took it out of my own strength and out of timing. I'm going to tell you that is the worst feeling that you can have. But you want to know about the best feeling? When you're waiting on the Lord for something and he knows what you need and you're asking him to provide something and you set an expectation. You say, Lord, I just want a job where I can pay my bills. Lord, I just want a job that will provide for ministry. And then he gives you a job that will not only provide for your bills, but for someone else's bills. Come on. Then he gives you a job that will not only provide for your ministry, but someone else's ministry. Amen. Man, he can do more than you can ask or imagine. You Amen. just have to trust him. He often lets us work on he, he often lets us work while our character is being formed, and then he gives more than we even asked for. Sometimes that process of waiting is character, no, not sometimes, all the time. All the time, that process of waiting is character being formed in you because God wants to bless you more than you can ask. And that character will catch up to the blessing that he gives you. That character is being formed so you can receive what he is going to give you and you can handle it well. Character is being formed. The gifts of character and kingly provision. That's all that we want, right? Character is a gift. And that character is being formed while you're waiting for provision. Look, I honestly, I pity the people that can get provision with their own strength. I really do. I pity the people that can get provision with their own strength because they do not know the blessing that comes from God. And I want to tell you tonight that blessing is better than anything you can go do for yourself. That blessing is better than anything that you can go earn. That blessing comes from God. And when you get that blessing, you know that you know that you know that he is looking out for you and your needs. You know when you get that blessing, when he does something more than you can ask or imagine, when you actually wait on God and then he provides for you, that's when you know that God actually cares about you and you know that he's watching over you. That is the best feeling that I don't even know. Unless you've experienced it, there's no way of describing it. I've looked back on my life, and I've seen times where I really needed something, and then God gave me better. Lord, I want a wife. He gives me the most amazing wife. Lord, I want to have children. He gives me the best children. (laughs) Lord, I want to have a ministry calling, and then he gives me something better than I ever thought that I wanted. Man, I want to tell you, if you do not know the blessing of God, you need to. You need to start trusting him more because he will do things in your life that will show you that he is a good boss. There is a love-hate relationship in this process. You kind of hate it when you're going through it, but you love it when you see God shows up. And there's nothing you can do about it. I hate it sometimes, but I also love it when the Lord shows up. It's indescribable when we're trusting the king for provision. It hurts when we're sacrificing everything, but it feels amazing on a father-son kind of level. Come on. When he gives you something you didn't ask for or, didn't, or, or that you didn't think you deserved. You ever have the Lord give you something that you didn't think you deserved? Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's Him showing you that He is your Father. That's Him showing you that He loves you. You ought to praise God for it and you ought to be asking for those moments.
1: Hey, who has Matthew 6? Just get verse 33 for me.
2: But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well.
1: Well, a simple script, scripture. It's one of those that is so easy for us to read that we all have quoted at different points in time. Saints, I want us to actually be able to seek the kingdom first, not seek the kingdom so that we receive everything else that we want. And that it be a reality in our lives. That it be the defining characteristic of why we get up and go to work. Why we come home. Why we do what we do. That it reflects the core principles that we had on the screen earlier. But I can tell you, out of my own personal life and personal experience. I didn't do a damn thing to create it, but I didn't take a wife before the Lord gave me one, and I've been blessed in it. He gave me the children that I had when he spoke to me to have them, and I've been blessed in it. The team that I have is not men that I decided I needed a team member and I'm going to make something happen. He gave me what I needed, and we responded in the right timing, and it has been blessed Amen. i have men and women around me that are solely because my father gave me good gifts i didn't make it for myself that doesn't make me special i just simply waited and obeyed when he spoke Hey, there are some of you a very very small minority that are scared to death to take a blessing that god is trying to give you the vast majority of you want praise want prestige You want honor. And you would never say that it's for your glory instead of the Lord's. And yet even your ministry is dripping with your own pride and selfish arrogance and everybody around you can see it except you. Listen, when you want something before it's time, I promise you, God will show, shove it back down your throat that you get a taste for quail.
3: That's a good word.
1: There is serious benefit. Benefit. And actually letting your father provide for you and responding the moment he tells you actually to do something yeah but not trying to grab hold of everything that you've ever wanted listen it's easy examples the low-hanging fruit here is a truck that you wanted the single person that you can see that wants to be married I'm talking to you married folks with three children who are trying to learn to operate in ministry you want a title You would never say you want a title, but you do want to be treated a little differently than you are right now. That desire inside of your heart, I promise you, it didn't come from Christ. And yet we all kind of just, because we use the right verbiage, we say we're seeking first the kingdom of God. Listen to me. You want it to go well with you? Honor your father and mother. Honor your foreman. Honor those that have gone before you. And remember how we honor them. It's not just in verbiage, it's by replicating the kind of courage and humility that they have walked in. And I promise it will go well with you. But that's a word that is for us that is worth meditating on for a little while. I think you might find that some of the strongest among us have impure motives that are not seeking the actual kingdom. Our desire, our goal, is for you to live a life that God can bless. That you can look back over a five year time frame and see how God supernaturally orchestrated everything that you needed over and over again. Yeah. And that nothing was cursed because of your own strength in your own hands. Man. We want to walk a life that is blessed before Him. Look
2: King of Kings wants to give you gifts as you do the work. Those gifts that he, he gives desires. you. Those gifts that he gives you are amazing. They're they're incredible. They show the blessing of God. You'll never be satisfied with going out and getting your own gifts. But as you wait for those gifts of God, man, it blesses you, doesn't it? He is a good king, and he wants to provide for you spiritually and physically. He is a good king that will give gifts to his workers. He wants to give those gifts because we're supposed to be men who are sent as a focal point for his name. Amen. When we receive everything from God, when he blesses us in due season... It shows that we are living for his name and not our own name. We are a focal point as a body for his name, not our own strength. So when the Lord in season puts us in a situation where we're struggling as a body, we're all sick. We're all tired. We've all been working. We're all dealing with issues in our home and outside of our home. We ought to smile and know that this is a season. He has gifts that he gives to his workers He has provision that he gives to us and it is coming in due season. Amen? Amen. Our God is a good king. Don't ever let that lose your sight. Don't ever look at him like he's the boss that doesn't care. He's too far away. He will provide everything that you need because he sees you intimately. Amen? Amen? Linton, why don't you pick up in verse 11 and we're going to keep going.
3: Hiram, king of Tyre, replied by letter to Solomon, because the Lord loves his people, he
2: has made you their king. Man, he's saying this to Solomon. Yeah. And this is a good little nugget. He's saying, because the Lord loves his people, he has made you as their king. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's interesting about that? This is a Gentile king. And what does he say? Because who loves his people? The Lord. The Lord. Because Yahweh yeah. loves his people. I don't, know, I don't know if you know this, but in Exodus 3... When that name is mentioned, he t- God tells Moses, he says, look, this is my name, Yahweh, to which I'm to be remembered by for the future generations. And this is a name that your fa- forefathers did not know. All right. Do you see what's happening here? Israel has per- perpetrated that name. And now even the Gentiles know the covenant name of Yahweh. He knows the covenant name and he knows a little something about his God. He knows that because the Lord loves the Jewish people, he sets a king over them. That's something you need to get. Jesus is a messianic king like David and Solomon. But his kingship is based on God's love for the Jewish people. The reason why Jesus is the king of the Jews is because God loves the Jews. He gave them the perfect king. And that is Jesus. Jesus is king because of this fact. Because God loves Israel, he has made Jesus their king forever. It is up to us as Gentiles to go and share that with them. Come on, That they have a king because God loves them. Not that they have a new king because God wants them to convert. They have a king who is of their same family because he loves them. Now let's pick up in verse 12.
3: And Haram added, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, made heaven and earth. He has given King David a wise son and endowed him with intelligence and discernment, who will build a temple for the Lord and a palace for himself. I am sending you Baram Habib, a man of great skill, whose mother was from Dan and whose father was from Tyre. All right,
1: all right, all right. So we told you that the King of Israel is going to provide for you. He's going to provide for you spiritually. He's going to fi- provide for you physically. And that he's also calling for a man, saying, Send me one. Saints, we ain't getting away from be skilled. Listen, no matter where we go in this chapter, you're gonna have to be skilled at what you do. Yeah. yeah. It's not alright to have our tools and not know how to use them. To have a family banner that must be cultivated. More than just skilled. He became very skilled. Yeah. Or if you're remembering a few weeks back, maybe even very capable. He was the kind of guy who had progressed in his station and was fit to work on the house of God. We want you to be fit to work on the house of God and able to execute the king of kings' designs, his plans, his path, his job site. Keep reading. He is trained to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron,
3: stone and wood, and with purple and blue and crimson yarn. He is experienced in all kinds of engraving and can execute any design given to him. Come on. What he will work with your craftsmen and with those of my Lord, David your father.
2: Man, he's got great skill. He executes the design given to him. Who's giving him the design? Israeli foreman. He executes the, the, the design that's given to him by the Israelis, by the Jews. And he does not reinvent it. He doesn't feel the need to go, hey, look, you know, that plan doesn't really fit in my theology. I'm going to have to reinvent it. Or, hey, you know what? That plan is not working because we're the church and we have now replaced them. So we're going to have to reinvent it. He works with the design already given to him yeah. by the Israeli foreman. Man, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We have to be skilled men. Yes. And I'm preaching to you from my heart. We have to be skilled men who are willing to go and work with Israeli craftsmen. Be willing to work with Israeli designs. To be able to fall in line, step by step, and say, I want to work together with you on this project. Hey, did you notice?
1: It was Israelis, but it's not just Israelis. It's Solomon's men and the workers of David, your father. How it said it specifically was the craftsmen. Of those of my Lord, David, your father. David's dead. But the king of Tyre recognizes something about these men has not gone away. My Lord David. That's a little hint. He understands a little more. He understands more than you think. And he says, David's men. Saints, we have Gentiles that are working alongside Jews, both with a first and second coming to usher in the kingdom of God here. Come on. You want to learn a little bit more about this skilled craftsman? Yeah. 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 It's question. I mean, it's yeah. 16. Help me. I can't say it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay. So in the top, reading right to left, it says, Lehoram Avi, of Haram, my fathers.
1: Let's take We're going slide. to
2: the next slide. We pulled this name up in several dictionaries, and it means exalted brother. Hiram means exalted brother, and Easton's Bible Dictionary says it's master workman. The last part of his name, Avi, means my father. Exalted brother, master workman of my father. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? He's an exalted brother from my father, a master of the work. Look, when we are sent to the Jewish king to build his temple... We must be skilled and work with the Israeli craftsman he already employs. When we do that, we become an exalted brother from their father and a master of the work. Come on, that's You great. want to be an exalted brother? Yeah. You've got to work with the designs, baby. By the way, what the rest of the Bible dictionaries mention about this man was that he was a, an orphan. Oh, I want you to get that. He was an orphan. His daddy died. His daddy died and left his mother a widow. First Kings 7 says this plainly about this man. You know what that says? Something that is so special. God doesn't leave anyone out. No. Yeah. In fact, he always uses the broken to do his work. Oh, come on. Even if we experience loss, we are still building. And we are going to do it as master craftsmen. He will use the sons of widows to build his temple. Come on. Judas got a little something to say about one of his favorite quotes, if men. Saints,
1: all of us keep reaching these places where Cody thinks that he is laboring at exactly what he's called to do. And then it feels like everything that you have ever done just goes man, right down the toilet, burned up, <laughs> left in ashes. I can see in some of the men's eyes in this room that you feel me on that. Yeah. Mothers, those moments when you feel like you just cannot go any further, you've tried so hard to make progress with your children, and then you see the exact same behavior repeated yet again. I bet we just go ahead and accept that we are the broken orphans that Justin is talking about, that we are those that are lacking, those that are poor, but also recognize the provision of our God, the if-man poem is one that has just affected the Stevens man over generations. In the poem, which was written by a man who's trying to describe Christ, that you would work and you would labor and see everything that you have toiled for coming to nothing, even on a pitch and turn, on a single coin toss, not breathe a word about your loss, stoop back down and pick up worn out tools and build it over again. Saints, we want to cultivate in you. We want you to see in this text who this guy is. That he came from a despotic situation. Not only was he born outside of the territory of Israel, but his father was dead, which makes his mother an alien and a widow. And so many times in our Christian walk as pastors, as elders, in the last 24 hours, Years of work and sacrifice are burned in just a few moments, and yet you have to summon the courage to stoop up your worn-out tools and go back to work. The end result of this man's life, though, was that he was a lord of the earth, one who was an exalted brother in his father's house, working alongside Israeli men. When we enter that great cloud of witnesses, they're not going to ask, how good did it feel? How successful did it look? They're going to ask whether or not you stooped back up those worn-out tools and then again and again went back to the plan and design of God. Marlon will be a success regardless of how it yeah. feels with his son tomorrow if he does that. Marlon is doing that. I can watch it rising inside of him. There's a kind of grit and courage that we have to get a hold of. It's not just theological. It's not temporarily emotional. It's when everything in your emotions and your nerves are gone that you have to do it again. Come on. <laughs> this is the kind of days that this house has been brought into. Yeah. Not just the leaders. They've done it a thousand times, I assure you. Yeah. Do you know why the Lord is allowing you to feel that pain? Because he's teaching you to do what they do. Do you want to be like your
2: fathers? Yes. <laughs> then follow them. Hey, I don't know about you, but when I hear that a Gentile orphan father died got to be the master craftsman on the temple come on, man. I see that there really is no victims in the kingdom, is there?
5: Doesn't matter what happens
2: to you. There's really no victims. God could use you in your most broken state. I remember my grandmother used to have a photo on her refrigerator of a man in a wheelchair with his arms and legs missing. And at the very bottom, she wrote, so you think you have a problem today, huh? (laughs) The truth is we all think something's wrong with us. We all think that because of what we're going through, we're victims, and we're not. God could use orphans to build his temple. Amen. And if he can do that with them, what can he do with us? Then he can use us. Who's got verse 15? It's 16 right. as well. linton has got it. <laughs>
3: now let my Lord send his servants the wheat and barley and the olive oil and wine he promised. And we will cut all the logs from Lebanon on that you need and will float them in rafts by sea down to Hey,
2: he's like, send us that wine you were talking about. Send us that beer and we're going to get to work.
3: <laughs>
1: that is a good word. <laughs> Saints, Joppa sounds like just a name that means nothing to us. And the reality is, we need to get our minds into the biblical culture. Joppa is where Jonah left to flee from God when he was sent on a mission to go preach to Gentiles. However, the Lord brought him back around, and he still preached to the Gentiles. God's and types will never be messed with, no matter how hard you try. Either he will reroute you, or you'll find someone else. Joppa is also where Peter was in Acts 9, when he had a vision of a sheet coming down. Yes. And then he goes and begins to preach to the Gentiles. I want to let you in on a little secret. In the book of Ezra, and the third chapter recorded by Ezra, Joppa is where Zerubbabel goes to get timber from the Gentiles for the second temple. There's imagery here that is meant to cue you in all the way through the New Testament law that this is associated with Gentiles coming to faith, that something is happening here. There's a transmission. There are men that are supporting the kingdom of God, and they're also having a revelation of who
2: the king of Israel is. Man, we've got logs from Lebanon going to Jerusalem through Joppa. Hey, I want to put Romans 15, 26 through 29 on the screen. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints where? In Jerusalem. Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to him. By the way, this is Paul speaking. Paul often got gifts from the Gentile churches and brought it to Jerusalem. You want to know where Paul's main port was? Joppa. (laughs) Joppa. says they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. Look, Joppa represents where Israel begins its missionary movement to the Gentiles. And it is where materials come from the It's where materials come from the Gentiles to provide for the temple. Mm -hmm. Joppa is where the Jews go out to the entire world with the gospel. You believe, you understand what you know about the gospel now because of what happened at Joppa. Joppa is where Jews went throughout the entire world and changed it. Joppa is also where materials come from the Gentiles back to Jerusalem. What starts in Israel Blessing the world must always return in Gentiles supporting Israel. You see that in this passage. The Jews have blessed the world. They're building the place where God's name would be a focal point. And they return the favor by bringing materials back through the very same place. Don't ever lose the sight that what starts in Israel always ends with Israel. We're going to go through many paths, we're going to go through Turkey, we're going to go through Iraq. We're going to go through all of North America and South America. We're going to go through China and everywhere else. But it will always end up back in Israel where it started. You see the same cycle over and over. Linton, would you read verse 17 and we're going to finish. Do we finish? Yes. We're going to finish in verse
3: 18. Solomon
1: took a census of all the aliens who mm-hmm. were in Israel after the census his father the data had taken. Hey, hold on. Who did he take a census of? All the aliens. Okay, I keep reading.
3: They were found to be one hundred and fifty-three thousand six hundred. He assigned seventy thousand of them to be carriers and eighty thousand to be stone cutters in the hills, with thirty-six hundred foremen over them to keep the people working. Wow.
2: Look, we find out we're back full circle where we started. We find out that out of the hundred and fifty-three thousand six hundred men that Solomon conscripted. All of them were Gentiles. 98% of that number. Had to do all the heavy li- heavy lifting. And backbreaking work. Mm-hmm. Imagine being one of those 70,000. Right? You're blessed. You get to be in Israel. And yet your entire job is to be a carrier.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Doing the heavy work. Look there's very little mention. Of the Jews that were included. In the building of the temple in this chapter. Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> the only thing we really see is that. They're skilled craftsmen that Haram Abi is going to work with. That's all you see. But you see large amounts of Gentiles who were doing the heavy carrying. And the other 80,000 are going to be chipping away at mountains. Man, who wants to go to work doing that? Got a pickaxe. You're going to chop away out of a mountain for what? Years. That's your job. Look, it may seem demeaning to be afforded such a job. I mean, look, if your boss goes to you and says, hey, I got a special job for you. Watch out. I want you to carry these hundred pound boards from there to there. And then when you're done, there's a hill of rock I want you to go cut up. Right? That sounds a little bit demeaning. You're like, what did I do to get myself into this? Look, it might seem demeaning and belittling that the Gentiles always have the hard jobs. But come on, be honest with you. This is LCM, right? Come on, somebody say this is LCM. We want the hard job. We are made for the jobs nobody wants. Us as Gentiles, our job is to make Israel envious. How are we going to do that if we pick and choose the easiest jobs? We've got to do the jobs that nobody wants. And we've got to do them with joy. And you want to know something else about LCM? We actually find joy in the difficult tasks. Yeah. We find joy in doing the hard work, don't we? Yeah. Yes. Because it is building something inside of us. That is what this work does. Thank God we get to be included. Thank God we have gifts and provisions of the king. But what's most important is what it's building inside of us. When you are doing the heavy lifting that God called you to do, it's building something on your outside. But it's building something worth more than fine gold on the inside of you. Look, I want to share a passage that you might not see in this. Turn with me to Isaiah 49, verse 22 through
1: 24. While we turn there, Justin is going to share a gem with you out of this. I will read it to you. Then we're going to recap just a couple things together, and we're going to hand it off to the pastors. It's worth tuning in just these last couple minutes to consider the inheritance that you have personally and that LCM has collectively. I'm going to pick up in verse 22. This, this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the Gentiles. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons and their arms and carry your daughters on their shoulders. They're going to what? Carry. 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 (laughs) Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens, your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Can plunder
2: be taken from warriors, or captives rescued from the fears. Look, these Gentiles were conscripted to carry and do the hard work. While they carry and do the hard work, God builds something inside of them. But you want to know God's ultimate intention? Yes, they're carriers of the load. We are carriers of the load. We are carriers of the weight. We're also carriers of his name. And the more and more that we get used to carrying that weight and get used to carrying that name, we're being refined for what the Gentiles will ultimately do. We're going to carry the sons of Israel back to Jerusalem. The Gentiles are going to carry them on their shoulders. Because we've learned to carry the weight. That is what God is refining this house for, is what we will be doing in the future. Don't complain about the weight that you have to carry. It's good for you. Amen. Because what is building in you now, God is going to use that for his ultimate plan in the future. And not just you, your children. Your children's children. They're going to see you carry the weight. And they're going to learn how to, how to carry it by watching you. And ultimately, they will be the ones carrying the sons of Israel right back to Jerusalem at the final temple. It's an astounding revelation that
1: part of the inheritance that you have, that you participate in with Israel and with their king, is that our hard labor, the 70 carriers, the things that feels like you're just moving stone after stone, and that's all that you do, are producing for you an inheritance that is fulfilling God's plan on earth, and specifically the things that have been spoken about this body that will come out of it, that an arm is going to be raised up, the gems that are coming out of the earth and the way that it is affecting the world around, Amen. you participate in Yes. That is a part of your high call. Saints, in the meantime, we're going to have to recognize our role to play, recognize our foremans, and that to truly honor them, we need to be foremans over things that are given to us. In that we must become skilled in our trade, greatly skilled in our trade, and work alongside our brothers, both Jew and Gentile. We want to fortify our walls with you tonight, where every man understands their place, their function. Can we get our Jeremiah 51 on the screen one last time.
5: <coughs>
1: Jeremiah 51. 12. Twelve. Lift up a banner against the walls of Babylon. LCM, reinforce the guard. LCM, Amen. station the watchmen. LCM, my favorite part. Yeah. Prepare the ambush. Yeah. Listen to me. We may be dealing with a little bit of rubble, but I assure you, we are not staying on the defensive. We are building something that is setting a trap for the enemy.
5: Yeah. Amen.
1: Hone in your minds. Hone in your household starting between you and your wife. Do not allow that your daily disciplines like Abigail traits and family function to slip between your fingers. Do not allow your relationship with your brothers to be separated. Do not allow your relationship with your foreman's to be separated. Come on. And let's begin to set an ambush that our God has already preplanned, already anointed us for, already promised that his purpose will succeed. Be unleashed upon the enemy. Amen.
0: Amen. You guys enriched by this? Yes. I was tremendously. Thank you guys. Let's put up. Uh, you guys stay up, stay up here. Let's put up from Second Chronicles chapter two, verse fourteen. There was something uh, actually. We'll start in thirteen. Something that stood out to me that relates to where we're at right now as a church body. I am sending you Huram Abi. It's the slide that they pulled, pulled up and the whole heart of this entire chapter. Sending men. What kind of men? Skilled, Skilled men. men. Men of great skill. Verse 14. Whose mother was from Dan and whose father was from Tyre. He is trained to work. Our heart, what we were going after Sunday, and now clearly connects with the content of this chapter is that we are seeking to raise up fully trained, great skilled men. Where you have fully trained men of great skill, you will have households that are fully trained and full of great skill. Even the daughters of LCM can rush the gates of hell and take it by storm. What exactly are they skilled in? Some practical aspects that I saw as these men were teaching. It first begins with the item of gold. What does gold stand for? Divinity. 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 Greatly skilled in knowing how to walk and live in the divine nature that God has given you. Come on. What's the next item? Silver. Silver. What does it stand for? Redemption. We are training you to how to become greatly skilled in the redemption that God has given you. And continues to give you on a daily basis. And that you can therefore offer for other people. What's the third item? Bronze. Bronze. This is probably one of the most important ones to know how to handle rightly. Bronze stands for what? Judgment. 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 We are training men and households in this room to be greatly skilled in knowing how to rightly handle God's judgment on a daily basis. Judging the thoughts and attitudes of our own hearts thereby allowing us to judge the thoughts and attitudes of other people's hearts. Come on. Lastly, I want to point out iron. As I looked at iron, I began to think of many scriptures. Rule them as with an iron scepter. You had the iron legs of the statue in Daniel. But what I see is that it is an immovable standard. In fact, the, the Psalms, when you read through it, you find that God was working iron into Joseph's soul as he was shackled within those chains in prison. That we know from the sufferings that we are baptized in, we therefore have the right for the glory of the immovable standard that is inside of our soul. We are raising up men and households to be greatly experienced and trained in having an immovable heavenly standard that acts as a standard for everyone else. Amen. If you continue to go through this list, you see that each one of these items has a function in what they're designed to do. Hermeneutically sound from Genesis to Revelation and how they're practically function in your life. I challenge you, read this, study it, see what these remaining items are. And let's let it be the topic of our conversation. I want to help every person in this room. Pastor Wade, the elders of our church, I want to help you become Greatly skilled men, and particularly foreign men, with the exception of one person in our congregation. And we're helping him become greatly skilled, too. Together, we will build the temple of God here on earth, inside of us, as it is in heaven. Amen. So that the glory of God can stand upon the Holy of Holies inside of us, inside this church body, and be a beacon for people to come and experience that same foundational transformation that leads to being a fountain to the nations. We're going to keep hammering these seven core principles because it's what we do. It's It's who we are. So let's do this. Let's stand to our feet. I want to ask that we direct our hearts.